Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your host, guide, life coach, and all-around expert in all things divorce. When I got pregnant, I had just lost my job managing what would turn into an incredibly successful fitness operation, fitness studio, but it was at the time it was being financially run into the ground. I was also an actor, and while I still had to have a day job, because most of us do, I've been doing pretty well in theater and television for most of my life. For those of you who don't know, I started my acting career when I was three, when I was one of the kids on Sesame Street. And being raised by actors in New York City, I had access to some pretty insane opportunities. By the time I was 12, I had the kind of career that most actors would kill for. When I was 23... I had my picture in almost every newspaper and magazine across the country because of a highly controversial TV movie that I starred in, in which we had what I think is the second lesbian kiss in television history, which was in 1994, a really big deal, even though the TV movie was on HBO. So all this to say, I had a career and it was not an insubstantial career. It was quite a good career. But pregnant, I wasn't exactly taking Hollywood by storm. At the same time, my husband's work started to pick up. After years of struggle, our finances were starting to be in a really good place. So good, actually, that we decided that it, would be, it wouldn't be necessary for me to try to find stable work while I was pregnant, because that was going to be fun, and that I could might be able to have that idyllic life where I stayed home and raised children while my husband supported us financially. I felt like I hit the jackpot. This was everything I could have dreamed of. I imagined baking cookies, creating fancy dinners, snuggling with my baby while he cooed up at me, frolicking in his playpen while I did all things domestic and feminine. I fancied myself a real up-and-coming Martha Stewart. June Cleaver, even. Well, here's what happened instead. My baby had severe colic, one of the worst cases our doctors had ever seen. He screamed for 16 hours a day for six months straight. That is not an exaggeration. When we rushed him to Children's Hospital of LA when he was two weeks old, because my mother, we were trying to be cool. We were trying to be chill. We're like, all right, our baby, babies cry. And my mom looked at us and said, okay, this isn't normal. And then we were like, oh shit. <laughs> and so we rushed him to Children's Hospital where the doctor looked us after, you know, probably four doctors examined him. They're very careful when you bring in a two-week-old infant. And they looked us in the eyes and they said, we've seen very good people go very bad in cases like this. What is your support system like? In other words, who's going to stop your baby from ending up in a dumpster? It was that bad. I also suffered postpartum depression and had to go on medication at this, around the same time when he was two weeks old. And thank God, because otherwise I may not have been able to handle the aforementioned colic. I think that the medication that I was on for my postpartum actually kept me stable enough to be able to, a little bit of an automaton, to be able to handle the severe colic. 
Needless to say, there were no cookies or fancy meals because I couldn't take my son to the store without him screaming bloody murder. There was a lot of takeout. There were a lot of tears on my part as well as his. And I suffered a loneliness and an isolation that only new moms really understand. There is a special kind of insanity that comes over you when you try desperately and usually unsuccessfully to meet up with friends and their babies only to have naps completely misalign or your baby screaming too much for you to even consider getting into a car. And then you spend another day solo, exhausted, with puke all over you, not having spoken to an adult or slept in days. So as I fought each day just to survive and keep my head above water, the rest of me was slowly drowning. At first, my husband would come home and we'd talk about how lucky we were. His work schedule was erratic, but there was no pressure for us to try to coordinate childcare and work schedules. He once even said when he came home from work, it is such a relief to know that you have all of this handled. I feel like we're really sharing the load here. I go to work and fill our coffers, and I know that our son is 100% cared for by you, and you don't have to worry about work or where the money is coming from and can just focus slowly on raising and nurturing our son. I am so aware of the level of privilege inherent in this uh, conversation, (laughs) in this topic. I just want to sidebar that. I'm 100% aware of it, and, you know, this this was simply the truth of my life. And this seemed like it was the perfect partnership and balance, except it wasn't because when we got divorced three and a half years later, I had nothing. I had no job. I had no career. I had no money and I had no self. After our divorce, my husband kept going to work every day. He was as financially stable as he'd been when we were married. He had a group of friends from work who supported him and helped him through the emotional, you know, turbulence of our divorce, but he had daily distractions and a purpose. His biggest concern was that I wasn't there to cook and do laundry for him anymore. (laughs) That is a true story. (laughs) Besides the loss of family and besides not having a wife to come home to each day, dinner cooked, laundry done, ultimately my husband's life didn't change a whole hell of a lot. It's not to say that it didn't change. It's not to say that he didn't have emotional upheaval and turmoil due to our divorce. Obviously, of course he did. But at the end of the day, his life didn't change a whole hell of a lot. But mine? Every day, I woke up in a panic about what the hell I was supposed to do with my life now. How does a 38-year-old mom with a -a three-and-a-half-year-old even begin to rebuild her life from scratch? I knew I didn't want to continue with my acting career, even though I'd spent the last five years recurring on Grey's Anatomy. I couldn't drag my three and a half year old around on auditions, driving what can amount to about three hours round trip and rush hour traffic to callbacks that are always on the other side of town at the worst time of day. Plus, it wasn't exactly reliable income. Actors book about one out of every hundred auditions. The risk benefit traffic analysis was not adding up for me. Every day, I felt the exhilaration of the freedom from a miserable marriage, along with the crushing terror of being alone forever, right? Because, of course, newly single dads are hot, and newly single moms are desperate and used up and looking for a dad and all of that stuff, right? So, and, you know, to add to this, when I had my son, my personal development had taken a back seat, I'd stopped going to the 12-step meetings that had once given me a complete lifeline of hope and recovery. 
Whatever growth I'd experienced prior to motherhood, whatever confidence and strength I'd begun to unearth through all of that work began to evaporate when I became a mom. And here I am in divorce. And I'd wake up every day and I'd try to find my lost self only to realize that whatever self I'd had and then lost was now permanently erased, relegated to the annals of BC before child, and that any self that I hoped to gain was going to be a complete reinvention rather than a reclamation. And it turns out that that process takes a hell of a lot longer than the two years I'd been allotted for spousal support. What no one tells you When you sign on for that partnership agreement or joint venture, as one of my friends calls it, of being a stay-at-home mom, is that you end up deeply, deeply subjugating yourself. As a stay-at-home mom, you relinquish almost everything in service of raising your children while your husband's path remains fairly unaltered. And that is actually backed up by research. According to a recent study, women's standard of living in divorce, and this is not even moms, this is all women, women's standard of living in divorce decreases by 27%, while men's actually increases by 10%. I'm going to repeat that. In divorce, women's standard of living decreases by 27%, while men's increases by 10%. So it's not just that you're subjugating yourself financially to your breadwinner husband. When you become a stay-at-home mom, your friendships slip away, your hobbies slip away, your body slips away, whether you stay home or not. (laughs) Your hormones do a crazy dance for far longer than anyone likes to tell you. And all of this lasts far longer and is far harder to put back together than you ever think possible. So while being a stay-at-home mom may feel or look like you're in a partnership and a joint venture, it's really anything but. There is no tangible return that remotely offsets the sizable investment that a mom makes, especially in divorce, when she gets divorced. But no one tells you this when you make the choice to get into it. It's only when you're trying to get out that you realized how hamstrung you really are. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.